Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome listeners to the continuation of the Futoshi Matsunaga case. Before we begin, I want to respectfully place those that Futoshi took from this world ahead of the criminal to be forever remembered. Please pay respects to Kumio Toraya, Takashige Ogata, Shizumi Ogata, Reiko Ogata, Kazuya Ogata, Yuuki Ogata, and Aya Ogata, and of course Junko Ogata, who was also a victim in this case. Now, I'll do a recap to bring all of you up to speed onto what we finish with in part 2. Futoshi manipulated Junko into blackmailing her entire family, brainwashed a deceased friend's daughter to enact daddy's crimes, and holds the entire Ogata family hostage in one single room within the condominium. The Ogata family fearfully supplies her with money, housing, and consequently, endless avenues for abuse. After running away from the law, using people as tools and resources to do his bidding, it seems like there was no end to his ability to coerce, manipulate, and above all, torture. It was at this point though that Futoshi began desperately evading the law, being listed on Japan's most wanted criminal list. As the Japanese police were closing in on him and tightening their grasp on Futoshi's chance to escape, Futoshi himself was tightening his grasp on the entire Ogata family, which he had confined to a single room of their house. A room in the house that was completely secure, microphone bugged and void of any furniture and any means to resist. And yes, unfortunately, it's going to get worse, much worse. We're going to delve ever deeper into this case, the terrible tortures, the horrendous deaths, speculation around why the Ogata family refused to resist, and the beginning of Fatoshi's much needed capture. Now, I know for some this goes without explanation, but I must state this episode is not for little ears and not safe for work. Please listen at your own discretion as it does contain explicit content. I cover physical and mental abuse, sexual abuse, suicide, murder, and brutal or gory deaths in this episode. Please take caution when listening to this case. Let's begin. After Takashike's death, the murder of the Ogata father figure at the age of 61 by Junko herself through electrocution, the following string of murders will swiftly take place, starting in January 1998. Shizumi, the mother figure of the Ogata family and Junko's mother, was Futoshi's next target. Futoshi had purchased a number of sun guns to keep the family in line, and would threaten them constantly to ensure that they would obey his commands. During this time, he would electrocute both Shizumi's and her 10-year-old niece directly on their genitalia, over a number of months, continuously. This was one of the few acts Futoshi would reportedly have done himself as all other murders or tortures were commanded or directed. Now this torture was so significant and damaging that it broke Shizumi both physically and also mentally. At this point, Shizumi had lost her husband, her family members were attacking each other at the command of a madman, and she herself was being constantly electrocuted over and over for months at a time. Something had to give, and indeed, it did. Shizumi had a psychological breakdown. Her connection to reality began to shift. She began to hear voices at first, 
then spoke in strange voices herself. She began to rapidly descend into madness. Ultimately, Shizumi would be found uncontrollably screaming and yelling incoherently at anyone and everyone. At one point, the family even convened with Futoshi to seek psychiatric help for Shizumi's state of mind. And as expected, this was completely ignored. A desperate plea for mercy from a creature without any. The more I learn about Futoshi, the more you'd think I'd be expecting this. But really, this is beyond my comprehension that someone would have it in them for this level of cruelty. The sadism and absence of humanity to push someone's mind to breaking point like this is difficult for me to understand. Don't get me wrong, it's not that I can't fathom that this sort of terrible action takes place in this world, but how can these actions be anything that a person would want to do to another person? It's both sickening and unbelievable. But I digress. Shizumi's mind and personality have been completely shattered, an absolute shell of who she once was, descending into insanity, so much so that her incoherent screaming caused Futoshi to fear that her screams would eventually notify the police. He commanded Reiko, Junko's sister, and former police officer Kazuya, Reiko's husband, to kill her. With the clear goal to silence her and of course keep Futoshi hidden within the community, quietly killing and torturing once more. And all this was of course happening in the same room, with all family members witnessing these vicious attacks. Cruel decisions and abuse. Each hit, each electrocution, each murder, further deteriorating the resolve of the Agata family. When one person succumbed, the entire family feels that despair. And Vitoshi relied on that fact. He would also use electric batons to further harass not only the Agata family, but those who would threaten to report him to the police. And it worked. Not one person went to the police. Mind you, they wouldn't have realized the extent of his madness and criminal abuse to the Ogata family. No one would have known at that point. And if they did, at this point everyone was too afraid that if he was caught, Futoshi would be at their door waiting to strike back. On January the 20th, 1998, Shizumi died. Strangled to death by two family members she once loved and cared for. Some reports say she was strangled by hand, but other reports explain that Kazuya strangled Shizumi with electric cabling. All sources though point to strangulation and with extreme trauma to the neck. An absolute tragedy. Shizumi was 58 years old. After Shizumi's death, you would imagine that Fatoshi would see some kind of risk in torturing the others with electrocution and abuse. But that death only fed his disgusting lust for murder. Not only did it not stop Futoshi, it caused him to lock his hands around key members of the Agata family even more so, especially on those that would or could threaten his control in any way. Riko was next to be tortured after Shizumi's death. She was tortured so severely that she lost all hearing, or at least most of her hearing. There was though an underlying reason for Futoshi's brutality towards Riko. Futoshi had raped Riko multiple times over the months, and yes, all the while torturing Shizumi, killing Takashige, and abusing Aya, their daughter. And on January 20th, 1998, Reiko had stopped having her period. Knowing that he would be the father, Futoshi electrocuted her to attempt a miscarriage. All this torture would do would cause permanent damage to her hearing and of course physical trauma. Futoshi realized this was getting nowhere, and Reiko posed yet another risk. 
He convinced the Ogatas that Reiko was going crazy and that they should move temporarily to their previous place of residence. Futoshi would do this to isolate the family further and limit the noise or chance of detection around their primary point of residence. This was something he learnt when killing his friend Kumio, using multiple residences to cover his tracks. After convincing the Ogata to move back, Futoshi gave them an ultimatum, and this ultimatum just shows you how destroyed or absent the mind and spirit of the Ogata family was at the time. Futoshi explained that she will either continue to be tortured, becoming more and more crazy, or that she should be killed because it would be pointless for Ritiko to live in such a state. The real insane aspect of this approach is that he's appealing to those he controls as being the merciful one, and that they are doing the right thing by Reiko encouraging them to take pity on her and free her from this torture, whilst also standing in front of them as the executioner himself. He might as well be holding their hand as the axe came down. So mentally broken is Reiko's husband that he himself volunteers to kill Reiko, for which I could only assume out of misguided kindness to his wife, that being dead is better than being alive with Futoshi. Futoshi then ordered Aya, Reiko's own daughter, 10 years old at the time, to hold down her mother's ankles and that she should tell her goodbye. The journal states from the witness that Reiko gasped out, Kazuya, am I going to die? With Kazuya replying, I'm sorry, Reiko. Kazuya strangled her to death in the same manner as Shizumi, with electric cable. Shortly thereafter, Kazuya would exclaim, Finally, it has come to this. I've even killed my own wife. February 10th, 1998. Reiko died, age 33, one month after strangling her own mother. And I only mention that to give you a timeline of how things are progressing. I struggle to comprehend that the choice to kill his wife was the only option, but not to attack and kill Fatoshi at this moment. He wasn't a big man, and he had tools of course to harm them, but... Being a former police officer, I thought he might have been able to attack Fatoshi, but I will address this later in this episode and my conjecture as to why this played out the way it did. All I know is that Fatoshi's control over the Ogata family was utterly complete. None more obvious than Kazuya commenting on his own actions, as if on the sidelines of what is occurring, and bewildered by such actions as if they weren't his own. The next target on Fatoshi's list was Kazuya himself, Kazuya had been suffering serious gastrointestinal issues during this time, from not only the stress from Futoshi's commands, but the long drives that he'd been instructed to take with Futoshi, chauffeuring him around to other districts to see other lovers, because his abhorrent actions don't simply stop with the Ogata family. From what I can tell though, those new relationships never eventuated to anything, thank goodness. During these trips, Kazuya would be forced to eat huge amounts of food in small periods of time and constantly overeat, drinking energy drinks and food in large volumes to only vomit it all back up at home, putting pressure on his stomach and his bowels to putting pressure on his stomach and his bowels to shift such large quantities of food, all the while being electrocuted and abused over a number of months. Fatoshi continued to abuse Kazuya, and in Kazuya's final days. He was locked away in the bathroom. Futoshi ordered him to wrap his feces in toilet paper and forced him to eat it, leading to profuse infection and endless vomiting. Kazuya would endure this for months. Bowel issues, stomach problems, and consuming fecal matter meant consuming bacteria 
extensive emotional trauma and a lack of any nutrition. Kazuya was being starved, and a period later, he would collapse, never to get up again. He would die on April 13th, 1998, at age 38, two months after being ordered to strangle his own wife. Futoshi would then move to killing all remaining Ogata family members using Aya Ogata and Kumio's daughter, the same girl who killed her own father and had been with them since 1996, to act out his depraved desires to kill. Futoshi ordered Junko and Kumio's daughter to enact their next set of killings and persuade them by explaining the two kids may come back when they are older to seek revenge. Aya overheard the discussion and Futoshi tells her, don't you feel bad for your brother? We should take him to see his mother. Aya, only a child, enamored at the chance for them to meet their mother, manipulated in a way only a child's mind could be. They tied Yuki up and Aya would then strangle her own brother to death. At this point, resistance wasn't an option. All those that could have ever stood up to Futoshi were gone. The first domino to fall that enabled Futoshi to begin this awful murder spree was the death of the father figure, Takashige. For me, once he was removed, the will to resist, the sense of despair and the willpower to defy Futoshi died with him. Fear became their ruler, and Futoshi would deliver fear repeatedly and constantly over the months that kept them hostage. So when it came to the children and their survivability, Yuki would have no chance at all to survive this ordeal. Yuki would die May 17th, 1998, age 5, by the hands of his own sister. As expected, Junko and Kumio's daughter were ordered to kill Aya next, and the final member of the Ogata family, barring Junko herself, would be killed. Futoshi not only began torturing Aya mentally, but physically. Futoshi would order Junko not to feed her, stating, it would be a hassle if she was too fat, prohibiting Junko from giving Aya any food, starving her to a point where, when Futoshi had asked Aya whether or not she wanted to die, Aya nodded. Like Yuki, Aya was tied up and strangled to death on June 7th, 1998, at the age of 10. What a waste of precious life, by a creature devoid of it. The bodies of all six family members were stored in their condominium, later dismembered and boiled down. Their body parts, like the previous murder with Kumio and Takashige, thrown into the ocean or flushed down public toilets. They then renovated the condominium, masking evidence and removing all traces of the Agata family having been in that house. Listeners, if the walls could talk, they would scream. The callousness and disturbing swiftness Futoshi took to kill them, then hide his actions made it difficult for police to track the events that took place when Futoshi was later accused, and so effective was his concealment that he was able to hide for another two years from the law. During that time, he would rent and repeat his strategy with another married woman. During July 2000, he coerced that woman to run away with him, with the goal to marry him, which is his method of operation. She had two twins as well, which she brought with her in 2001, and again, Futoshi would steal through the facade of love, stealing 20 million yen from her, equivalent to 109,305 US dollars. And thus, the cycle of manipulation and abuse continues, for one more year. And January 30th, 2002 is when it begins to unravel and fast. But before we find out who and what led to Fitoshi's capture, I want to just touch on the mindset of those he murdered. 
I know it's easy for me to sit here, behind the protection of a keyboard and a mouse, writing a synopsis of how I can't believe none of them stood up to him, no one pushing back, and the lack of any real resistance at all from the Agata family, which could dumbfound a lot of people understandably. In news reports and public statements, they all echoed that same sentiment. Even myself wondered how this was possible. So I thought about it and had a real good look at the breakdown of the Agata family with Fatoshi over the months that he spent with them. So, so I'd like to paint a picture of what took place so you can clearly see how difficult it was to be in a situation like this. Let's start with this. The Agata family is drawn in, tricked, and manipulated by Fatoshi. Completely controlled by blackmail, fabricated or not, it didn't matter. He had them under his thumb. This control is insidious, quick, and easily executed, implicating them in his crimes as well to quickly ensure compliance from the Agata family. The father figure was the sole source of family strength and willpower, and the first to be murdered. This act of brutality shocked the Agata family, destabilizing their family resilience, and sends other family elders into shock, unable to provide any leadership. The resolve of the family bond quickly wanes, as the mother figure of the family is tortured, descends into insanity, of which extensively traumatizes family members to a point where the thought of, this could be me, is overwhelming. Two major family figureheads are tortured physically and mentally, causing ripples of fear to compound within the thoughts of the rest of the family. They are all in shock, resulting in physical and mental immobility. All family members are terrified of the same fate, but can't equate their demise to that of their elders. They don't realize that this won't stop, or if they do, they lack the strength to do so based on the previous traumas. The man holding them captive deprives them of all their tools to resist, locks their doors, confines them, watches them, and mentally abuses them, pitting themselves against each other and eroding all family trust. That lack of trust makes them pliable, easier to be coerced, and leads to a detachment of the actions carried out, a numbing of the sense of severity from their actions, the constant control over every aspect of their life, and continuously torturing them forces them to seek favor at every chance. Otherwise, you're the next target, right? And electrocution is the only outcome. Constant electrocution leads to permanent physical and mental trauma and severely affects your cognitive ability. All of them had been electrocuted at this point, and all of them were feeling its effects. Unable to find the strength or the willpower to want to fight back, after witnessing two of their loved ones die, but inaction is not easier, it's actually the only foreseeable option. Physical and mental exhaustion takes out the capacity to fight back. Compliance at this point in time appears like the only option. Fighting back is an impossibility, because the minds of those being tortured are stripped of their will to do so. In complying, the Ogata leaders feel sacrifice is required to buy more time, to find more chances for compliance in the hope to free other members of the family. This may at first appear as an option when really that option never existed. Futoshi has absolutely no thoughts of freedom or desire to favor the Ogata family, whose mind had been pulled back and forth, fractured and contorted to still seek compliance. I think above all, they sought or expected mercy from someone who was incapable of providing it. Those are my thoughts in this space and I did my best to avoid cultural assumptions and only discuss the facts of what took place. This, of course, is solely conjecture, but I wanted to illustrate that just because you have the fight in you now, 
doesn't mean you'd have the same kind of fight in you when you're tortured over a number of months and mentally assaulted by a myriad of different and relentless tragedies. And that's the fundamental difference when it comes to placing yourself in another's shoes. People can be quick to look at the facts and just state the obvious. There's six of you, one of them. Why no resistance? And this is why. A gradual deconstruction of the structures that keep a family bond strong. And at this point, I fail to see whether Futoshi does this willfully, and that he's been doing this for so long that he passively seeks and perpetuates this kind of behavior with whoever he interacts with. Subjugate those that will, lie, manipulate, and kill those that don't. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on my interpretation, and your feedback is welcome. Now, when it comes to being caught, Kumio's daughter, who we will call KD from here on, was the match in the powder barrel that set Fatoshi on the path to being caught. January 30th, 2002, KD slips away, finding the courage to run back to their grandparents, but she was still unable to shake Futoshi's hold over her, and his reach within her family was far. Futoshi began developing a relationship with KD's older sister, siphoning money from her grandparents and eventually locating KD, taking her home. But KD was crafty. She had left a note stating, His story is all false. Please, come get me. Upon returning home, Futoshi began to repeatedly electrocute KD and forced her to write an oath in her own blood, promising she won't try to escape again. The torture did not stop. And KD states that she was forced to rip out her big toenail within a five-minute timer using only pliers to tear it out. But the will of KD was strengthening and the desire to escape her torturer equally so, escaping again in March 2002 to her grandfather's house, then straight to the police. And listeners, this is where I'll stop for now. Next episode on the case of Futoshi will be next Friday. In that episode, I'll be working on the Japanese justice system at the time, the science behind mental torture with electric tools, the sentencing of Futoshi and Junko, and a focus on the grisly details when it came to Futoshi's torture methods. Thank you all for listening. And as for my thank yous, I'll refrain from doing a lengthy thank you in this episode, as to pay respects to those that were murdered by this creature in human skin. I will say though, thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for supporting me in the way you do. And I'll see you Monday for an old time radio episode. As always folks, till next, we meet.